This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, the one day that can change your life. Go to www.thewellnesssummit.com for more information. TheWellnessCoach.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat, featuring Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome to today's podcast where we're talking all about weight loss. Now, there's a reason we decided to talk to you about weight loss today, and that's purely because we know what a hot topic it is. You know, there's so much information out there that's You know, some of it's valuable and some of it's quite conflicting and some of it's actually quite confronting. But the part that I think is most intriguing about weight loss for me personally is that, you know, we're becoming so much more educated about our food. We're becoming more educated about how our food is processed, how it's created and how it's made, Um, you know, mineral deficiencies in our soils. I, for one, am starting to find myself being bombarded with just truckloads of information on the Internet. And I do actually care about, you know, the quality of the food that I'm eating. I actually really do care about it. I don't want to be eating plastic. You know, I I, I hear all of this information about the different foods that are out there, that they're magnesium deficient and that our soils don't have the right potassium and phosphates and so on because we've just depleted our, our energy sources around us. So I thought that weight loss was a really good subject to talk about because there's so much conflicting information out there. And I know that being in the presence of Cindy O'Meara and Kim Morrison, we really are in the hands of experts. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Cindy. Tell us about your perspective about weight loss and what do you think we need to know? I, I do agree with you. I think it's very confusing and there's a lot of conflicting information. And we have to take it back to basics. So at the moment, you'll see that the the uh, weight loss industry is a billion-dollar industry. It wasn't 30 years ago. A billion dollars. Billion. And it's probably more than one billion. It's billion dollars. Because it, wow. there's so many people overweight. Like, you know, we, we've got a worldwide audience here. But if I gave you the Australian statistics, that will also be the same in the US, in the UK, and in most Western civilizations. Because what we're doing, and what we always say, is that everybody in the Western world is doing the same thing Mm. and getting the same result. And what we're doing in the Western world is that we are eating a low-fat, high-grain, high-carbohydrate diet Mm. because that's what we've been told to do. And I go like this. I go, okay, we started that around around the 1970s, really hit full swing in the 1980s. It's obviously not working. Mm. Absolutely. And I think the hardest thing for all of us watching these statistics is, for me personally, the scariest thing is watching these kids come through that are fat, overweight, some of them even, or a lot of them, morbidly obese. And so I sit there and I go, well, is it the kids' fault because they're not doing anything? Or is it the parents' fault because we're allowing them to eat it? And so my question today would be, how do we teach the parents to be great role models? How do we live by example? How do we teach them to enjoy exercise? How do we teach them the basics again? So perhaps these are some of the topics we can go through. But also from your point, Karen, I know you're saying we're the experts. I'd really love to hear also, you know, how do we change our mindset around weight loss? How do we look at weight loss with a better perspective instead of feeling so negative around it? 
So first up, Cindy, I just want to say to you, you've just given us some statistics and things, but why you're saying high carb, um, all these different things. I've learnt from you we shouldn't be looking at those sort of statistics. So let's give our, our listeners that perspective for a start when we look at ingredients, what we're, you know, perhaps we take it right back to what is making us fat. Well, what's making us fat, I, I actually think it's a, an array of things. I don't think it's just one thing. Mm-hmm. And we can go back to when mothers are pregnant. And when mothers are pregnant, not only what they're thinking, Karen, and, and I'm sure you will probably have some great thoughts on this, but what are they consuming? So while they're pregnant, are they consuming the right foods, number one, that gives them a baby that's healthy, that has the vitamins and minerals that it needs so that its it structure is proper? Are they taking antibiotics? And as we discussed you know, in um, previous podcasts, that 30% of pregnant women take regular antibiotics. And if that's the case, then we're having children that do not have the right nutrients, the right, right probiotics, the right everything. We, just, we don't have that happening. So in my way of thinking, if we, we strip it right back, we've really got to think about what we are doing to the natural body. Then what we do is that we don't feed our babies the right foods. We might give them infant formulas or we may only breastfeed them with some infant formulas. And then the first thing we give them is cross-cuts. That You know, that's that teething, the Those teething rust, stuff. Rust Those things rust. or something? Yeah, yeah. Right. Those rusts. So we give them these rusts that are wheat-based. And with the modification of the wheat, which we can discuss at another um, time, with that modification, we then set our children up for wanting to eat more because we know if you eat the current wheat grain as it is today you will eat 400 calories more than if you didn't eat it. This is what's so oh amazing. Oh, my goodness, really? Yeah. This mm. is our current research on the hybridised wheat grain, not that, the wheat grain of the 60s and, and 70s, which was called uh, einkorn or emma wheat. They were, they were okay. But this new hybridised wheat, which has 25,000 varieties around the world, we're finding when we consume this, it actually makes us eat 400 more calories. It has this appetite stimulant in it. Oh, my God. That's, we can discuss, like I said, that's, that's just one of the things. And then what we do is that we believe this low-fat food is okay, but anything low-fat is high in sugar. So then we push our insulin up. Our insulin, we become insulin-resistant, then become diabetics, and then we don't take enough nutrition because we're eating the foods that are, are full of additives, preserves, and flavorings, not vitamins and minerals. And because we're eating these foods, we then have a a brain that's saying to us, you are going to kill me if you do not eat something. So it's a survival mechanism. And so when we're consuming these non-food items, basically, the brain's going, I need more vitamins and minerals, eat. But then we don't eat the nutritional foods, we go and eat something that is like a packet of chips. And then we go, after a packet of chips, oh my gosh, I could have eaten another packet of those. I'm not fulfilled. Mm. Your stomach might be filled, but your, your biochemistry is, is screaming for, for more minerals, for coenzymes and more vitamins to, in order to run the, you know, the biochemical processes that do the things that need to do in order for us to survive and survive well. I want to ask you this. 
after I'd had two babies and I've always been a fairly fit person and, and looked after myself, but after two babies, I'd put on a good eight kilos and it just wasn't going. Uh, let's just say it was actually 22 kilos per pregnancy, but I got it down to eight, but the last eight, <laughs> the last eight wouldn't shift. So I decided to take on a challenge, which was a body sculpting challenge. Now, I know that's a very big, extreme thing, but I needed a real strong call to action in order to put me into action myself. And the thought of standing on stage in a G-string bikini in front of 400 people was good motivation. So I followed the protocol that they gave me at the gym. And I have to say to you, my whole system, I didn't enjoy it, but I did as I was told because it was the program. I ate very little fat. I ate hardly any sugar, which is fine, maybe. But what I did eat a lot of were these things called protein shakes and um, protein bars and uh, egg white omelettes, and I ate a lot of steamed broccoli and steamed chicken. So I kind of look at it, and I look back at it now, and I think, oh, my gosh, I really, I probably looked the best I've ever looked. Like when I did stand on stage, it looked hot. Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, there was those photos. <laughs> there was, <laughs> but, you know, I looked really fit and healthy, but I didn't feel fantastically healthy. I mean, Cindy, they gave me vitamin K injections to dehydrate my body before I went on stage. Oh my God, you're joking. And I took, I didn't drink any fluids in the last three days so that everything dehydrated so I looked more muscly on stage. So it's a completely (gasps) stupid sport in many ways. Loved the idea of the programming and the training. But I'm asking you here and now, that is the psychology of, of losing weight. Low fat, no sugar, um, high protein, uh, this is just my feeling, I don't know if you're both with me on this, this is what people are asking me at the moment, and what do you eat? And then I look at the ingredients of those protein drinks that I was drinking, Cindy, there was nothing in it that was a food, it was it was colours, flavourings, it had the 951's aspartame, it had soy protein isolates, It had, there was no real food in it, yet I felt sustained and full. Was my brain still screaming for real food, yet I felt full? But really and honestly, inside, I didn't feel my best. When I went back to eating normally, um, a couple of you know, that night I really wanted a hot chocolate because I hadn't had it. Vomited it, as you can imagine, within minutes of drinking it. My body wasn't used to it. But what I did find is that I found it very hard to adjust even to eating a salad with dressing and things like that. So I'm really confused as to how people that want to lose weight, they look at the typical norm, which is low fat, low sugar, high protein, perhaps even low carb, yet is that, that still doesn't seem healthy to me. What would you say to me if I wanted to do it today? The same type of program? Yeah, let's say I wanted to lose some weight. I've, lost, I've had two kids and you might not, I might not want to do a body sculpting, but I want to look fit and healthy to wear a bikini this summer. Mm-hmm. It's a whole, to me it's a whole change in your thoughts on food. So we're bringing up a generation of kids and they're now young adults, they're now in their 20s and 30s, that have this staunch belief system about low fat and a staunch belief system that I must have grain and I must eat so many servings. And it's really, really hard to break people about this whole low fat thing. I remember when I wrote my book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives. Now, I was with Penguin, one of the Penguin, young Penguin um, publicists was travelling around the country with me for two weeks. She heard me five times a day speaking on radio or television or whatever about low fat, is, is we should get away from it. And I just remember her just cringing at the thought she had to eat fat. Absolutely cringing. So we've almost got to change their mindset, Karen. Mm. We've got to... I, I don't know 
how we do this, but we've got to, it's almost like we've got to flip them over and say, everything you've been taught is actually wrong. Mm. And that's really hard to do to someone who's, who lives their life like that. So how do we flip a mindset? Well, I, I'm sitting listening to you and, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost gobsmacked because I've been one of those people who has grown up believing that the light milk, the low-fat, no-fat yogurt and, um, you know, this, the, the skinny milk and the, the uh, low-fat pastas and, you know, all those sorts of things. I've grown up with that as a way of eating and a way of believing food should be. Um, you know, I mean, even just buying a block of cheese, I would always look for the Devondale 7% because it's only got 7% fat in it. And I thought, well, that's what's going to, you know, keep me, you know, the right weight. But I'm one of the people who got to the point where I was probably 20 kilos overweight by the time I hit 38, 39, and just had lived my life in this consistent misery of always looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, you big fat slug, look at you. Your bum's saggy, your boobs are saggy, nothing's hanging in the right place. And, you know, when you're 30 years old and you look in the mirror and you go, your bum's saggy, when really a 30-year-old's bum's not saggy. And I was looking at all of that and it got to it, it got to a point where I just didn't know. I didn't know what else to do for myself because every time I looked at any diet or I looked at Weight Watchers or I looked at everything that was available, it was all about um, calorie restriction. So for me, in my mind, I went, okay, well, I can only have 1,100 calories a day. And that's what I went ahead and tried to fit in. But I tried to get as much food into that 1,100 calories as I possibly could. (laughs) So of course I'm going to have a no-fat yogurt and a 7% cheese and a rice cracker. You know, I'm going to try and get as much food into my 1,100 calories. I think there's two components of society, though, that we need to be considering here. And there's the, the component of society that is overweight purely because they don't know better. And there's, this, there's the aspect of society that is overweight due to lack of education. And that's a relatively simple process of re-education and reinforming, which I actually think this is part of what we're attempting to do. But then there's another aspect of society who are overweight because of their beliefs about themselves, mm-hmm. the beliefs about um, who they are, what they are, and their self-worthiness. Because there are a lot of people in society who eat for comfort and a lot of people in society who use food as a reward and who use food as a mechanism for feeling better because in their life there's a vacuum and there's a void that exists from a love perspective that they either never you know felt that from their family when they were growing up or they've you know been through devastating love relationships with partners and they tend to use food as a mechanism to fill the void but unfortunately food can't fill that void because it's food not love and then the perpetual cycle of um, self-hate begins because they eat the food, they look in the mirror, see what they don't want to see, and then develop a sense of self-hatred, which then makes them seek for more comfort. And because they're finding comfort in food, they eat more food. And it just becomes a perpetual cycle. And I think for that aspect of society, and, and, and I know that was certainly, that, that aspect of society has certainly included me. And it includes my family. And it includes a lot of people that I know. And it's not because we didn't get love when we were kids. Quite the contrary, actually. We got lots of love when we were kids. And reward was came in the form of food. Mm. 
So when we were good, when we were really well behaved, we got ice creams, we got chocolate when we walked through the, through the shopping centres and through the aisles. When my mum said we'd been so good, the first thing we thought was Ripper, we're going to get a Magnum, you know. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Or well, when a baby cries. Comfort. Comfort straight to the breast or straight to the bottle or straight to a dummy. It's mm. absolutely right. It's absolutely right. So that's, that's, a, whole, that's a whole new ball game. Um, that we're talking about there because it's not necessarily attached to food it's attached to love which you know in my book love is the source of all that exists in life and what we're talking about is a person's own sense of self-love and self-connection and congruence and it's a much bigger conversation Karen do you think that even weight on somebody, mm. not, not so much the, the grasping of food or anything like that to just fill a void, Yeah. but could the weight on somebody be a significant factor in their life to make them not look good because they've had a, a particular love that's hurt them, that maybe they've been um, sexually abused? Yeah, yeah. Do you think maybe, because I know people who lose weight, and they do it beautifully, mm. and they feel great about themselves. And then for some reason, they cannot ever imagine themselves like that, or they don't want to see them like, like that because they, they're scared that someone might attack them again or, mm. or they might fall into a relationship where they're going to be hurt again. What's your view it's, on that? Look, it's, it's, it's absolutely right. I think a lot of people use their weight as a sense of unconscious protection because weight... It, 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 if, it, if it is based on abuse, then certainly weight will make them, le- make them less attractive in their mind and less vulnerable. Um, there are some people that I've worked with in the past that have used weight as a source of power because they think the bigger they are, the more powerful they appear. Therefore, they're less vulnerable. But what exists underneath all of that weight is just an incredibly damaged soul and an incredibly hurt little person that underneath the weight needs healing. So I think regardless of what the um, trigger is or what the, what the purpose of carrying the weight is, I think the underlying issue is still the same in that the person, the person underneath the weight is broken in some way, shape or form and requires healing. And then as soon as they get that healing, then they'll be able to lose the weight and lose it with ease because there'll be no reason to hold on to it. But you're right in that, you know, for a lot of people, they'll lose the weight without healing the wound. And then when they see this gorgeous creature standing in front of the mirror that, um, you know, isn't carrying excess or obese weight, they're not ready to see it. And you've had experiences like that with people, haven't Mm. you, Kim, where Mm. you've had people that have not been ready to see their gorgeousness, Mm. then they just go put the weight back straight back on again. And I think, too, what happens is, is people see a diet or a weight loss program as that. They don't see it as a way of life or as the rest of their life, perhaps. So they'll do the 10 weeks or the 12 weeks or they'll do the 20-week program. And then what cracks me up is at the end, well, you heard me, at the end of mine, I wanted a hot chocolate. You know, like that was my reward. Like You've been deprived. I've been deprived. (laughs) But don't don't you think that happens, you know, and so at the end we go, hey, look, I look good. Or I can have some chips and dip now and I can't. And all of a sudden they're put on two kilos. Mm. And then within a week you can put five kilos back on if you're not eating well. So, I mean, my belief with weight loss is... I agree. Sometimes we need a protocol or a program to help get us back on track. We need to perhaps detox to get rid of what we've been doing, and that's a big step in itself. But my belief and understanding around weight loss is that it should be, this is for life. 
it's not a 10-week program. So if I'm going to use something as a bolster for 10 weeks, fantastic, but how am I going to implement this into the rest of my life? And that's where I've seen people fall down is mm. at the end of it. And also, too, you're absolutely right. They they look in the mirror and they see this gorgeous person now, or they, they see it physically, but then they reward themselves with the stuff they were doing before they went on the program, and now they're fat again, and so there you go, it didn't work. They blame the diet, or they blame the people around them, and it's all right for her because she's a skinny cow, or he's a <laughs> he's a fit bugger, or whatever it is. You know, like they, they blame outwards, and like you say, they don't look in. So I believe one of the keys to weight loss is how do I get on this train of health and fitness and well-being for life? It, we have a friend, actually. Kim and I have a friend, and... She's been on a lot of diets and I remember her being on a diet and, and we would just happened <laughs> to be with her at this one time and we offered her chocolate chip cookies and we offered her, you were offering yeah, yourself yeah. an order. She says, I'm on a diet. And I looked at her and I went, why would you go on something that you cannot continue or eat? You know, you're going to eat this in three weeks now. Eat it now. Like, don't ever go on a diet with us. <laughs> God, jeez. <laughs> I, I was, I was like, thanks for telling me that now. <laughs> deprive yourself of something and in three weeks time you know you're going to eat it there's no point in that I actually look at it and I go let's do a protocol that changes your mindset about food that that changes the way you are doing things makes you feel so good plus doing the mindset stuff I, I really agree that mm. that is so important especially mm. for damaged people you know and I say damaged people we're all damaged <laughs> in some way <laughs> Welcome to the human race. Exactly. <laughs> We've all got some sort there. And, and, I, and then go, well, this is what I can sustain for the rest of my life. And this is what I feel good on. And I actually believe we need to educate ourselves. And then if we, like, you know, I found a protocol, and we'll talk about that later, that not only gets people feeling good, looking good, but actually changes their mindset about so many things. It's like... Um, it's almost like a revolution happens, not mm. only in their body but in their mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Karen, you actually, in your Mindset Mastery, spoke about how your mind changed when you changed the food that you were consuming. Mm. And it's amazing that you mentioned that because I'm just embarking on a whole new realm of study around biological psychology because it, it was absolute evidence to me when I did lose the weight that... Um, the food that I was eating gave me incredible clarity. It gave me a sense of euphoria. It gave me a sense of completion and wholeness in myself where I've been an overweight kid since I was eight. And I've always been somebody that had to wear clothes to hide my belly or wear clothes that didn't hug my thighs. I've always been that person. So to be in a position where I didn't have to do that all of a sudden was a whole new realm of freedom, really, that I had never experienced. And it was, it was bloody fabulous. <laughs> I mean, it really was. But the part that I've loved the most was, or has been and is, the incredible shift in my belief about what is possible for me mm. and what I'm capable of doing and my ability to make choices. And it's just all about me. And I love that because my food is just all about me. And, you know, I think that that's amazing. And it's a, it's a perspective I haven't had on food. And for somebody who's always been overweight, 
um, and always used food as a reward. You know, like I used to hate putting petrol in the car. So when I'd go put petrol in my car, I'd buy myself a, a, a chocolate. You know, <laughs> walk out you with a little naughty devil, you. Oh, hell yeah. Oh. And if I had to put petrol in the car two or three times a day because I'd been on long trips, look out. <laughs> you know? Hello, fat bum. That's me. Uh, BFF. BFF. Yeah, 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 BFF. Which is the back fat friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely been me. But Karen, would you agree with me that meeting someone like Cindy O'Meara has changed our lives? Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, Cindy, like I said, I was trained. I'm a trained fitness consultant, personal trainer and everything, and I was taught that low-fat um, revolution, if you like. That's what I was taught to teach my customers. So when I heard of something like Olivio, a low-fat spread, I jumped on the bandwagon because it was made from olives and it was low-fat and didn't look at any of the other ingredients. And then I came across you, I don't know how many years ago, and your beautiful book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, which wasn't about a whole, oh, my gosh, you're going to have to do everything cold turkey, it's going to be tough, you're going to have to do this, drop that, include this. It was none of that. It was one habit once a week just you can change that and I really loved it what I also loved about it is that you give a whole lot of information and they're like you know what is butter what compared to margarine um, what is soy milk how do microwaves work um, why is salt such a bad thing and I love the fact that you talk about meat and real milk and all of those sort of things that perhaps um, I'd never asked myself before because we too have grown up with parents who have got doctors and cardiologists and, yeah. and specialists saying this is the new way of living. So I don't think we can blame our parents either because in a way they've just followed, followed the, 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 the system. But then our generation is now starting to question and it's thanks to people like you that we can go, well, hang on a minute, what do you mean I have to buy low-fat trim um, skinny milk when, when we used to as kids I'm not kidding fought over who got the cream at the top of the bottle um, and it's not that long ago you know so just perhaps I think if you could give us a couple of examples on making better choices I reckon that would that's where it started for me um, where I stopped eating Olivio and then went actually you know what butter's good but what I learnt with butter is I just don't need as much or I can have avocado every now and again instead or a nut butter you know like Butter isn't the problem, and I'd love you to explain how butter, salt, and sugar, and milk, and bread, and all of that isn't actually the problem. It's it's what we're eating, perhaps. Mm. Well, that, you know, we could just spend the next eight hours talking about <laughs> <laughs> Just read the book. Okay, that's the end. That's the end. <laughs> you know, I did a talk uh, a couple of weeks ago in town, and because I talk in this town so much, and this is our hometown of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, because I talk in this town so much, I decided to do an advanced talk. I didn't say that I was doing that. I just thought, everybody's heard this. Let's give them some new information. And it's funny, I got feedback um, about it. And there were people in there that had never heard before what I was even talking about. And it was way over their heads. And they, when I mentioned... I think I said something like this. I go, so if you know that you should be having breakfast cereals and low-fat milk and toast and margarine and Vegemite and then sandwich for lunch and then pasta, if you think that that's healthy, uh, this is what it's doing to you. And I, I quickly went over it. And one of the young girls that was in there went to the back of the room and said to the girl that was behind the counter, she said, what's wrong with breakfast cereal? So... I had assumed that everyone knows that breakfast cereals are bad. And there's probably some listeners going, what's wrong with breakfast cereals? Yeah. So to 
you know, to tell everybody everything about that whole aspect of it, it's, it's a little bit of a rude awakening because mm-hmm. they think they've been doing everything right and they've been feeding their children right. I did a, a conference for executives for a huge construction company um, that's a worldwide construction company. And it was so funny because there were nine executives in the room. Now, these are the big wigs of this large construction company. Every single one of them, and I'm showing, just for the listeners in the room, I'm showing the girls exactly what they were like. So they had crossed legs, they had folded arms, they looked down their chest at me with raised eyebrows. She's looking incredibly executive right now. (laughs) (laughs) And did they have fat bellies? I'm just interested. Every single one. Mm. Oh, Mm. would it be better for me to do that then? Lying. She, Karen yeah. looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, okay, so I did lose my fat, my fat belly. I dropped it along the way. <laughs> and and I, I watched them, it, and I spoke that night from Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, and I spoke that night for nearly three and four hours, you know, stopping and starting, asking questions, things like that. It took them that long to release their arms. And wow. to stop looking down at me as though, what is this chickie going to teach us? And one of the girls came up to me at the end of the day, at the, at the end of the weekend, and she said to me, when I heard that we were going to a conference that was life-changing, I went, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> she said, this has been the most life-changing thing I have ever done. And I rang her two and a half months ago, that was. So I rang this particular girl and I said, how are you going? And she said... My whole family's eating organic. We've changed our diet completely. We don't eat breakfast cereal anymore. Yeah, no more. And, the, and the kids, the kids were at the conference with us, by the way. Oh, how fabulous. The kids were at the conference. The kids had to eat what I was serving the adults. Oh. And they would just look down their nose and go, where's my wheat bix Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and where's my toast and, and all of this. So she said, in two and a half months, our whole life has changed. Mm. She said, we follow everything you talked about in that conference and I've lost 11 kilos, she says. Oh, oh my God. And, and she, she just was puffed. You know, but I, I looked at her. I, I could see how the beauty in her. I could see The spark. The spark. Mm. But she had every health problem. She had everything. Like, nothing was going right for her. And she's dropped 11 kilos. I, I want to see her. I haven't seen her. I just spoke to her. And she said, and so-and-so, she's lost 20 kilos. And so-and-so. So it was like... This but is, is, it a, is it a new way of thinking? Is that what you're giving people, is a new way of, uh, I mean, without making food companies wrong, even though they possibly are, um, but without making anything wrong, what you're doing is giving people a new perspective, a new way to look at this. Um, so if you were sitting here saying that breakfast cereal is wrong, I j- just tell us, because I can feel people will be itching <laughs> to know, what is wrong with breakfast cereal? Just give us that as an example. Okay, what is right? That's my question back at you. I don't see one thing that is right with the breakfast cereal. Not one. And that's scary. I cannot give you one positive. And that's what's really scary. Because of the ingredients that are in it? Okay. Where do we start? All right, let's, let's start with ingredients. So if you... Most people look at the nutritional label when they look at uh, a food. So they'll look at the fat, the salt, the sugar, the carbs, the protein. And whatever they're looking for... If it's what they want, so if they're on the high-protein diet and it says high-protein, they're going to buy it. If they're on the low-fat diet and they see it's, it's low-fat, they'll buy it. If, if they're a diabetic or pre-diabetic and it's got low sugar, they'll buy it. Mm. That's, to me, the worst way to look at a food is to look at the nutritional label as in packaged foods. 
what I do is I go straight to the ingredients. And if I don't know where they've come from, what it is, how it's made, uh, what you know, anything, I will, will not touch it. In actual fact, I, ha- I have to say, I don't touch packaged food anymore. Mm. I just don't because very little of it is worth eating. There are some, but mm. most of it, like I would say 95% of packaged food is not worth eating. But uh, you know what's happening though? There's a revolution. Mm. And I'm finding that there is packaged food that I'll go, you know what, I'm okay about that. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting. But if you'd asked me this five years ago, I would have said, it's not there. It's just not there. So the first thing I do is I go to the ingredients. So if you're listening at home and you can take us <laughs> to your pantry, I want you to pull out the breakfast cereal. I want you to turn it over and I want you to look at like the health claims. The health claims are just the worst thing. Like the first thing you see on health claims is... Um, helps improve my child's immunity, full of antioxidants, now high in fibre. Um, vitamin enriched. Vitamin enriched, mm. mineral enriched, mm. very, very high in fibre. Mm. <laughs> very, very high in fibre? Come on. Really? Very, very? very, very. <laughs> I've seen that on a <laughs> That's hysterical. You'll see, you think about it, mm. um, lowers your cholesterol in, take the cholesterol challenge. Yes, mm. yeah. You know, so don't even look at Creates that. Creates iron men. Oh, I yes. like that one. Yeah, yeah. it does, doesn't mm. it? Or you can have a bungee jump with some of them. When right. you have that, that taste, you can have a bungee jump. Oh. Or the kids will stop fighting if they, you give them this breakfast. That's right. seen that? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 So there's, there's all this marketing hype around this food. And when you actually look at where this food has come from, it's actually come from a person by the name of Dr. Kellogg. And Dr. Doc, this is going to be a breakfast cereal um, it's good. hour, isn't it's good. it? Because, yeah, it's but, yeah. but you know what I get from it is if we understand breakfast cereals, we can allow those principles to filter into other areas and we'll question it. So I, think, I actually think it's a really good point to be making. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so we'll continue with the, with the breakfast cereals. <laughs> I was just seeing if, you know, Karen had any in her pantry, but we know she doesn't because we cleaned her pantry <laughs> Oh, my God. And I've got one of those partners that's particularly hard to convert. And the first thing he said when he walked home was, where's my ice magic? <laughs> that's another topic in itself. How do oh, we influence those around yeah. us once we get on this journey? Well, Absolutely. How do we clean the fridge out, you know, like mm. when we did yours in the freezer. Oh, my gosh, remember what we found in that fr- little freezer? You know, we're going to have to do a video, a video yeah. podcast, I think. Mm, I reckon. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's get back to breakfast cereals. Let's just blow it all out of the water. So it came from Dr. Kellogg's, and Dr. Kellogg's was a vegetarian. He had a health camp in Iowa, USA, and he believed that there were, and yeah, well, we, can, we can say words that I'm going to say, yeah. Um, he <laughs> believed that there were two things that caused ill health. Now, knowing he's a vegetarian, you're probably thinking meat, but it wasn't. The first thing he believed that caused ill health was constipation. And the second thing actually rhymes with constipation. And it was masturbation. Oh. They were the two things. In his health farm, he actually said that, you know, you will be healthy if you don't have sex. If you don't have sex. If you don't have sex. I know you won't agree with that one, Kim. No. 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 (laughs) That's another topic. Moving on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is his belief. This, This was his belief. So his belief was that 
um, they were the two things. So he marketed breakfast cereals as the anti-constipating, anti-masturbating breakfast cereal. Stop it. No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I can stop if you'd like. No, please. I've never heard on. this in my entire life. This just this is just bizarre to me. It is bizarre. Did he think he'd go blind or something? I, I mean, don't know what he thought. <laughs> what was his scientific proof? What was his evidence? No. Uh, okay, and there was none. There was no evidence. This was, but you've got to realise this is 1920s. This is when, mm. um, like, we're a little bit more sexually liberated. We actually won't believe that. Mm. And I actually have, I work for a construction company, and when I say that to the guys, they go, doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so can I just ask you, so has then thought, Dr. Kellogg thought, I need to make a food that stops constipation and people wanting to masturbate, so he created cornflakes. Is mm. that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, I think he made the cornflakes. All the mums out... he figured out the marketing. All, the, all the mums out there are going to be going, we've got to get that from a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> are you being sexist? No, no, but they're often the ones that show it publicly. They're quite proud, aren't they? <laughs> Moving on. Mm. Mm. That's another topic. Yeah. yeah, look, I think he made it, and then there's always marketing that has to happen. Mm. And so people make a food and then they market it. They don't necessarily have the scientific proof, I don't think, in the beginning. Because to me, there's no scientific proof behind this. Mm. And there's no scientific proof that you can become an Iron Man if you eat mm. a particular brand. Mm. And there's no scientific proof that you will have a bungee jump if you have a bite or stop your kids arguing. You know, mm. It's marketing and advertising. It is not there to tell you the truth. It's there to sell, sell a product. Mm. So this is where it all started, and it's, it's become this living, breathing thing. Do you know, 82% of Australians, I know, I know the Australian statistics, and it won't be different in the US or the UK or any other a part of the Western world that eats breakfast cereals, 82% of households here have breakfast cereal in their pantry. Well, people, someone said to me the other day, what do you mean you don't have breakfast cereal? What on earth do you eat for breakfast? Yeah, yeah. I went, oh, my gosh. So, like, just as an example, so you can see what I make my kids. We have a choice of a smoothie, and that can be a fruit-based smoothie or a rice or almond milk-based smoothie um, with all sorts of things in it. Um, we'll have scrambled eggs, poached eggs, or an omelette. And, this, I mean, this morning I made Taylor poached eggs on toast, and Jacob, he had an omelette with ham and um, tomato and onion and all sorts of things in it. Um, we'll have pancakes. I make waffles. I'll do muffins for breakfast. Um, do you want me to go on? Like, there are so many things I make for breakfast I, that don't do include know, breakfast cereal. You know, Kimmy, what women are going to be saying right now, and they're going, how much time does she have? And you both know that um, I have a very, very busy life. But as I said in one of our very first podcasts, it's not about time and money. It's about prioritising. And if I believe that the health of my children is a top priority, which it is, and so is mine and my husband's, then that is why I will get up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning and I'll make sure that I get all the things done, including their breakfast. I don't want my kids to go to school without breakfast in their tummy, but I don't want them to go to school with packaged cereals in their tummy because I know by 10 o'clock in the morning they're going to be hyper, Jacob especially, does not need hyperactivity in him at all, and that is definitely what breakfast cereals have done to him. Um, I don't like white sugar. I don't have that in the house, but they'll sprinkle rapidura sugar on their porridge. I make nut porridge most mornings if we don't have a, a smoothie. There, there's actually a book here, isn't there? There's like a book just on breakfasts um, and things like that. But seriously, once I believe once you get breakfast down pat, mm -hmm. I feel like the rest of your day will fall into mm. into line. Is that true? It is because if, if you eat breakfast cereal, what happens is that it shoots your blood sugar up. 
especially if it's made from wheat. Now, remember we talked about the, the change in our wheat. Not What the wheat was changed for was to feed a hungry planet. Not once did they ask, is this okay for human consumption? And we're now realising 40, 50 years on that it's not been good for human consumption. So it's made from wheat. It will shoot the blood up, blood sugar level up. 90 minutes later, it will push it down. Then your body will say, eat. So that's usually why people, when they eat a breakfast cereal, is that an hour and a half later, they're ready to eat again. Because it is, it's refined, number one. And number two, if it's made from wheat. Even if it's made from corn, it's still refined. So it will still do the shooting up. So... Then, you know, people are going to say, but it's fortified with vitamins and minerals. Have you ever questioned where those vitamins and minerals are coming from? So are the vitamins from a plant base or are they from a chemical laboratory? So let's just take iron because most breakfast cereal is fortified with iron. I know this, that if I get any breakfast cereal that's fortified with iron and I crush it and I get a magnet and I put some cling wrap around the magnet and I put it to the breakfast cereal, I can actually pull out a black grey shaling out of the breakfast cereal. Which means that it's not a plant-based iron. Your mothers will lick your car. It's cheaper than, than wow. this stuff. So it's shalings. Like, whatever made them think that this was okay to put in our food? And if anybody doubts this, go and do it. Because anything that has an iron fortification in it, as far as the breakfast cereals go... You can do it. If you, if you don't want to go through the effort, just go online, put in iron in breakfast cereal experiment. And the, there are heaps of people that have done that experiment and, and put it online. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It, so, okay, so moving on from, from breakfast cereal. Another, I still haven't finished. Oh, well, I just wanted to ask you this. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there's more. Well, wait, there is more. Well, because really what you're talking about in my eyes, is it's fake food. It's, it's not real, which leads me into this whole revolution of fast food. Um, and we did this as a test for my children to show them that McDonald's and the likes are not a healthy option. Now, I know most people out there know it's not, but they figure once or twice a week it doesn't hurt them. So I got my kids, we went and I felt so disgusting. It was like buying cigarettes when you're not a cigarette smoker. But I went into the McDonald's. I, felt, I was hoping no one would see me. But I bought this cheeseburger and we took it home and we put it on the counter. And I'm not kidding. And it's such a good experiment to show your kids. Mm. And we left it on the counter for, like, honestly, it was still there six months later. And it didn't look, it looked a bit dehydrated, if anything. But there was no ants. There was no microbiactivity. Uh, there was no... No mould. No moulds. There was nothing. And I kept saying to the kids, well, if it's doing that on the shelf... And it's doing that sitting in the in the burger bar. And then what's it doing inside your tummy? You know, like, does our body have the ability to eliminate that stuff that doesn't decompose? Is our system having to work 100 times harder to try and get rid of something that's so foreign? Whereas if I made my own bread at home um, and made buns, I had a beautiful... I can't say beautiful meat patty because I don't eat meat, but I'd imagine you meat eaters would love a beautiful meat patty. You know, maybe, you know, your, your pickles that you've done at home, sliced tomato, lettuce. To me, I look at that and I go, well, a hamburger's not the problem if you make a real hamburger. So it's like this whole fast food revolution is also, I mean, Jamie Oliver's doing a great job out there trying to convert people. And I think because of people like him and yourself that we're starting to really question, well, hang on a minute, I am fat, I am overweight, I can't seem to lose, I'm tired all the time, I don't have a good sex drive, I'm grumpy, I don't get through my day. Maybe, just maybe, it's got something to do with the fuel I'm putting in my body. 
You know what's really amazing about that? I was down in um, Sydney just the other day and a, a girlfriend of mine is, you know, trying to lose some excess weight. And she asked me what I eat. And I sat her down and I just gave her a, a rough outline of what I have for breakfast and the variety of things I have for breakfast and the variety of things I have for lunch and dinner and snacks. And then I made her a shopping list. And she was amazed that the shopping list was 90% fruit and veg. And I said, you've got to go to your local farmer's market or organic food store to get it. And then 10% was, you know, bits and pieces from the shopping center. And um, the amazing thing about it was, and I spoke to her just this morning, and the amazing thing about it was she said, you know, Karen, she said, it's being educated to eat natural food. She said, it's almost like I've got permission to eat natural food that's much easier to come by when I go looking for it. She said, I just wasn't educated to go looking for natural foods. I just wasn't educated for that. She said, but now that I'm educated, I can see that it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everybody's selling it. All the farmer's markets, all the beautiful butchers and, you know, all of that, they're all selling it. It's just I wasn't educated to look for natural food. So I looked for what the television and the marketing companies taught me to look for from the time that I was tiny. Mm. Good point. Mm. I thought that was really amazing. And she said, I'm just, she said, it's natural food. Of course it makes sense, doesn't it? It's logical that I would eat real foods, that I would eat a real tomato rather than tomato paste. It's logical that I would eat avocado rather than perhaps, you know, cream cheese. She said, it's logical that I would go for a natural food rather than a food that's been manufactured in a chemical laboratory. But she said, I wasn't educated to sort for that. Mm. And, and a lot of people don't have the time to think about it or they're just so on that same well, path. Just, well, well it's, it's, it's habitual. It's like mm. anything, isn't it? I mean, you get habituated in smoking cigarettes. Mm. You feel a sense of stress and rather than taking deep breaths, we go and have ciggies. But it's just habitual, the way that we're educated to relieve stress. So if I'm stressed, I'm going to have a ciggy. Well, actually, you brought up a really good point just there. My beautiful grandmother, who sadly did pass away a couple of years ago, she, when my grandfather went to war, her doctor said the best stress relief is to smoke a cigarette. So she, he told her the best form of stress relief was smoking cigarettes. So what I'm saying from that is... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. That's what she said. And oh, she, and, and unbelievable. It, and, and you can imagine from his point of view, smoking a cigarette, deep breaths, calming that's and all right. that sort of thing. So let's just say that again from a food point of view. Doctors are saying eat olivios, eat you know, fortified milks, low cholesterol, all of this. Maybe they're getting it wrong here too. Good point. Mm. A, a really good point. And the thing is, is that they they believe they're telling us the right thing. That's right. If they knew better, they would do they better, would do I'm better. sure. Mm. And, and they do believe they're telling the right thing. But they're seeing it doesn't work, so they're not telling many people. Yeah, but they're seeing it's not working, so but they're giving us drugs or yes. programs or more foods to help lose the weight. Like, that's what scares me. They're not looking at the issue. They're looking at a band-aid effect in, in all honesty but I think it comes back to the way that we're educated mm. and you think about them going through medical school they're only educated one way mm. and if we're educated one way and we don't have choice how much more restricted are they when what they've been taught comes straight out of the pages of a textbook that is just one way of of of, of living because if you get a headache, they're going to give you an antibiotic or they're going to give you a Panadol. They're not necessarily going to think about They're not going to say to you, okay, well, what have you been eating? What have you been breathing in? What thoughts have you been having? 
and have you been sleeping? They're not actually going to look at the body as a whole organism. I believe that our doctors actually look at the body as an isolated head. Okay, the head is sore. Let's prescribe something for the head. Or the arm is sore. Let's prescribe something for the arm. As opposed to looking at us as holistic beings, which is, I think, where the whole problem And what's interesting exists. is that when they look at the head and they say, well, let's just prescribe the drug for the head, mm. they're actually prescribing it for the whole body. That's right. It just doesn't affect the head or the heart or, you know, or mm. lowering cholesterol or whatever it is. It's actually affecting the whole body. And yet they do a type of reductionism, but they don't realise that that reductionism is actually affecting the whole body. What do you mean by reductionism? So they reduce it us down to the smallest thing. So okay. a whole body is reduced down to the brain or to the heart or to, to cholesterol eye. problems. Yeah. So they're actually using that, but then they throw something in to, to, to affect everything. It's got it. interesting. I, I, mm. Until you made that comment... I hadn't really thought about it, that they're actually affecting the whole body, but they're only looking at one part. Mm. Can mm. I just say that what's beautiful, though, what I've seen happening is that there are these doctors and medical practitioners that are all out there, but I'm starting to notice an influx in holistic medical integrative doctors that are really, really starting to get this. What scared me is a, a recent in recent time is one of these doctors who's based in Queensland here was almost is they're wanting to disbar her from the medical um, fraternity because of her way of thinking. So they're obviously afraid of of what these. I, I guess we're looking at witches again. You know, like maybe these people that are going back to what it was are now seen as as witches of some sort. It's it's pretty frightening. Yeah, Karen. I think you could probably answer this best than any of us. But without one type of um, thing happening in the world the complete opposite can't exist can it you know we always have opposing there's always black mm. and white yeah. there's love and hate there is philosophies that are different so while we have the philosophy of you know reductionism where we we look at the body as little pieces we also have the exact opposite philosophy it's which one do you want to choose mm. it's which one do you believe in because i kind of go if you don't believe in one if you believe in one, how can you be- believe in another? Because they're just polar opposites. Mm. How can you feel love when you're feeling hate? Mm. So I, I know this has tra- you know, gone in another direction, but that's what I'm thinking. Uh, like, we, you mean weight us. loss is, is seen so vividly for many as low-fat, no-sugar, low-carb, high-protein type of thing that we actually believe that so much we cannot imagine yeah. The other perspective of whole grain or whole foods, um, simple, real, back to nature type of foods, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, well, I think there's, there's a, a way of getting over there. Mm. But there's so many people that have that belief that it's almost like the hundredth monkey thing. You know, everyone's got that belief, we're all thinking it and that's what's happening. And I believe that what's happening at the moment is that there is this groundswell of people mm. that are going, hang on. This isn't working anymore. What? What? I've got to go out and seek some new information, and that's in every aspect of their life: in their health, in their food, in their mindset, in in the in the you know, what they put on their skin, in what they use as their perfume, in what they you know everything. People are actually questioning, and once they start to question that this isn't working, they then seek what what is a truth, and and the truth is huge. That's what is so frightening sometimes 
is it opens up Pandora's box and sometimes you just want to close it up again and go back. <laughs> but you know what else I love about the truth though? And it, and it does all come down to education and, um, you know, I think it's really important that our listeners know that, you know, they can get education from us. It's not just about participating in the podcasts. They can get more education from us. Um, I think that given that it's all about education that helps with that transition, I think what we find, though, in that transition, and I, and I know this to be true for myself because that transition has only just recently occurred for me. You know, it's taken a long time of you trying to beat on my thick head that I need to make some changes. <laughs> with a few sticks. With a few sticks, yes. But because it's so fresh to me, it, it's, it's interesting because it's almost like that new education is not new. And I know this is going to sound a little bit obscure, but it's like it's not new. It's very familiar. Because as I eat naturally and I love myself more because I feel better, I'm more I'm capable of more, I think more clearly, I'm my 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 neurological processes are not interfered with with synthetics. It it, it makes me realise that this is what's natural and it feels natural. And what feels natural also feels familiar. And I think that that as much as this is a, about re-educating people, I think it's about uh, revealing. It's just, it's, just, it's just a pure revelation and a pure revealing of what we already know to be true. That's why when we start to see ourselves this way and we start to eat this way, it feels congruent. It feels authentic. It feels natural and it feels normal because innately it's there for us anyway as as humans, as, as, you know, animalistic beings, it's there all automatically. We know that eating a red berry that's poison is going to kill us. Innately, we've got that already inbuilt. But I think that our education has been so intense the other way for a myriad of reasons, financial, people thinking they know better, masturbation, whatever, <laughs> you know. Convenience. Convenience. <laughs> All those things, I think that the education has been so significant that we couldn't help but follow. But I think when we do get this new education, um, you know, this whole total body and mindset combination, realising that the mind and the body are connected and the body and the earth are connected, the body and other bodies are connected, the body and animals are connected, we're all actually connected because we fire the same way. Neurologically, we fire the same way. Serotonin runs through my body like it does yours, and it runs through a cow's body like it does a chicken. And we're all connected. We all have the same stuff. And that same serotonin, interestingly enough, exists in the leaves of plants. So for us to to think that we're separate from that, and therefore we can go and manufacture something and think it's going to add to our health and well-being, because it's come from a chemical laboratory and it's been made from synthetics or it's been made from cotton or it's been made from something other than natural. I think it's, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's about giving us back our familiarity. You know, Kim and I actually always say this. We are your professional reminders. That's mm. what we are. And, I, and you are too. You're a professional mm. reminder because people innately know what you say That's is right. true. Yeah. And what Kim says, what she says, they innately know it's true. We have thousands of generations before us that knew, had this knowledge mm. without actually knowing the functioning of the human body or what the biochemistry was or what cholesterol was. They mm. knew nothing. But innately they knew exactly what they should have eaten. 
And so what we become is professional reminders. Mm. That's it. Mm. And people get this aha. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that makes the most amount of sense I've ever heard. Mm. I know when I listen to Karen and Kim, I get this, oh yeah. You know, it's like, mm. what, yeah, it's yeah. I, I think what's interesting out of this podcast um, and, and the topic we started out with weight loss, I think what we've really hit here, girls, is it's not weight loss is weight loss is the, is the top topic that we're talking, but you can understand and see from this that weight loss is layers upon layers of depth and knowledge and intuition and understanding. So I think um, I think the listeners will get that. What I what I would imagine if it was me listening to this is okay. You're giving me this. I'm hearing it. It's actually sounding right to me. How do I start? Where do I go? Just give me the give me the tools. Give me the ability to know what's the next step because I'm hearing you. I want to lose weight. I get that it's more than just losing weight, but just give me what would your suggestions be on how to get started on this path if weight loss is the end product? We both we all know that there's when you go on a weight loss journey, it's a life journey. It's not just a weight loss journey. I actually don't think we should go on a weight loss journey. I actually think we need to change our goal and go on a journey for health. Because when we go on a journey for weight loss, and Karen, you'll be able to really plug this one away, is it's negative. Mm. And the brain hates negative, doesn't it? Mm. That's right. Can't, it can't, it's incongruent to process a negative from a neurological perspective. And all three of us didn't want to call this a weight loss thing, but we all know that that's, that, that, that's the marketing word. That's what and people that's hear. the words that go through people's heads. What goes through people's minds is weight loss, lose weight, which means we're going to find it again. <laughs> well, we have to find anything we've lost. That's exactly right. And I'm fat and I'm ugly and all of these things. So those are the words that go through people's heads. So, you know, that's how we recognise it. So I'd start with let me find my health again. Mm. And so you stop looking for weight loss foods and low fat and foods like diet. that. And, and diets mm -hmm. and look at all that. You actually look for foods that are going to nourish the body because it innately knows what to do with these foods that then that then will happen is that the body will do its thing. It will lose the fat. Mm. You know, and and we, we have protocols to do it brilliantly. Mm. But let's just start where we, we change our goal and we change it to health. And I think recognising that the body and the mind are connected is a real reality that um, most people, I think, don't realise. They don't realise that there is a psychological aspect and it's also physiological that it's it's a it's a combined approach to losing weight or to feeling healthy or to feeling amazing it's a combined approach the mind and the body are not separate from each other the body knows exactly what to do it's intuitive it's instinctive and it has the power inside of it that blooms a rose grows the grass and raises the sun every morning the body has that same power existing inside of it because that's what beats your heart and breathes you and in, and, and in conjunction with that, there's a mind process and a mindset that drives all of that. So in combination, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful orchestra that the human actually is able to instigate at will. So, you know, I think that the best thing that we did, the best thing I think we've done as a, as, as a team, the three of us, the best thing we've done is... Start sharing this information with people. And, you know, the podcast that we're doing with our listeners is one vehicle. 
You know, we run programs called Total Body Mindset. And I think that's the best thing we've ever put together. Agree. We've had thousands of people come through these programs, coming in feeling completely lost. And, you know, I know our listeners are going to relate to this, where they've come in feeling completely lost, frustrated because you've tried everything you possibly could on the market, you've done everything, you've listened to all of the advice, and none of it works. And if it does, it only works short term. Now, in terms of learning how to how to take what you learn and make it a lifestyle change so that you want for nothing, you never feel deprived, you never feel you've given anything up. Because the minute we start to feel like we've given something up, we feel like we need to start you know, going to get it again, like that hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. So the Total Body Mindset Program is, like I said, it's the best thing that we've put together because it not only helps people to alleviate that sense of frustration and that feeling of being lost where there's just nowhere else to turn because you've tried everything and feeling resigned that you have to live inside a body that doesn't reflect who you believe you're really capable of being. The Total Body Mindset Program is all about giving you back control, putting you in the driver's seat, and feeling amazing for it, not just because of the way that you look, but because of the way that you believe you're capable of being. It's more than a human being is not a human doing. It's not just about what you do. It's about who you're being. So for our listeners, you know, as I said, we do offer more than just the podcast. So please go to our websites. My website is all the W's, KarenSmith.com, and it's C-A-R-R-E-N-Smith.com. And, and mine is 28.com, the word 20 and the number 8.com. I feel like I need to add something, you know, with the little, you do the, all the W's. <laughs> I know, I like that. Yeah, I like that. I like the way you do 28. Okay, so I'm going to figure out one for me. So I'm dub, dub, dub. <laughs> nice. So changing habits, that's with an S. Dot com and with an A-U on the end. <laughs> So yeah, get the information um, about our program and uh, we'll talk to you next week. And remember, it's Total Body Mindset. Check out on our website. We run them regularly. Check out on our website when we've got an event that's coming close to you and you, you just don't want to miss it. Not for everything that you're hearing. If you're investing your time in these podcasts, you're going to be investing your time in a program that's going to be revolutionary for you. And don't forget, the next podcast that we're going to talk about now, we're going to talk to you about a protocol that's changed all three of our lives in the health and well-being, perhaps weight loss world. Stay tuned. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.